It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. Well, I tell you what, Rich, do you know that Christmas, Christmas 2018 is here? Wow. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Yeah, and you know what? There's a lot happening, isn't there? I mean, a lot of people listening right now, a lot of people we're talking to, some of them in their automobiles, somebody at different places. But, you know, there are people that Christmas isn't always the happiest thing for them, at least not this year. I don't know. It just kind of works out that way. As I was driving to the studio 30 minutes ago, there was a car that had not been paying attention, and it, it hit the back end of another car. So there the two drivers were out on the street talking to each other. I happened to notice they weren't, uh, by their body language and everything, they weren't mad. They weren't, I thought, isn't that nice? They're gentlemen talking it over. Uh, Because in the old days, cars, you know, had bumpers. Now that goes many years back. That goes back into the 1930s and, and the 1940s. Cars had bumpers. So if you bump somebody a little bit, why... That's not a big deal, but it is now, for sure. So I thought as I was driving by on the way to the studio, those two fellows, why, isn't that going to kind of give a wake-up call to their day? Hopefully it won't be to their Christmas, but there's a lot of things that are happening, happening now. But Christmas is Christmas is Christmas, isn't it? Right. Well, you hope that doesn't destroy their Christmas joy. So I want to tell our Bot Radio Network family, just listen up and relax and enjoy an old-time Christmas. And here is Jim Reeves to talk about an old Christmas card. It's the memory of an old Christmas card. There's an old Christmas card in an old trunk and it brings back sweet memories dear to me though it's faded and worn it's as precious as the morn when I found it beneath our first Christmas tree I'm always sentimental Round this time Pardon me If a tear Falls among my Christmas cheer It's the memory why I get to feeling sentimental about this time every year. But every time I see a Christmas card, I somehow can't help reminiscing about the very first Christmas that you and I spent together. What a beautiful Christmas card you gave me that year, 
I know you must have looked through thousands of cards to find that wonderful poem that still brings a tear to my eye. I thrill with every word, every line. Guess I'm always sentimental around this time. Pardon me if a tear falls among my Christmas cheer. It's the Christmas card, you know, um, each one of us, I'm sure you do as well, think of when you had Christmas as a child. I sure do. And my Christmas as a child was spent in the 1930s and the 1940s. Those are the memories when you have things under the Christmas tree and and, uh, some of the 1950s, but then I was growing growing up, you know, uh, because you were born, Rich, uh, in 1954. So you see, but your memories, everybody's memories, uh, are going back to Christmas as a child, aren't they? Yes, indeed. Do you remember Walter Brennan? Of course, yeah. Grandpa and the real McCoys. Well, that's right. Well, you know, Walter Brennan, uh, he is going to talk to us a little bit here about Silent Night. Now listen, Silent Night, Holy Night, see, that is the night that Christ was born. That is the night that that this unborn child, by God's decree, made his entrance into the world. Here's Walter Brennan to tell us about it. To me, around Christmas, a lot of folks change. They're a whole lot nicer to one another. You know, some of them that speak way, I never figured they knowed my name. Because up till now, well, they, they just never bothered. Yesterday, I seen a banker give money to a hobo. Now, that fellow was probably hungry, without no place to stay. But that banker got more than him out of that money, you know. He got a lot more than what he gave. So, at this time of year, I guess folks is reminded of, of love and faith and hope. I guess it kind of takes Christmas sometimes to to bring out the best in folks. Night, 
Yeah, you know, Rich, last year, last year you recorded a story, a precious story. I want the folks to hear it now. Here it is. I'm going to tell you a story just as my father told it to me, for I can still remember almost word for word how he related it to me on Christmas Eve, 1963. We just finished dinner, opened some presents, and put on our pajamas. Just before bedtime, as the last log was burning in the fireplace, I saw my dad walk over to the mantel. He took down the antique snow globe with its nativity scene and started the crank on the bottom. The little music box played Silent Night as snow swirled around Joseph, Mary, and the baby in the manger. My dad was lost in thought until the music ceased. Then he turned and he saw me watching him. I guess I looked at him quizzically because he went on to recite a little poem I've never heard before as though he were explaining something to me. Silent, holy, calm, and bright, Jesus came to pierce the night. Jesus came to make things right. So be silent, holy, calm, and bright tonight. I didn't know what to make of it, so I did what most 12-year-olds would do. I, I asked questions. What do you mean, Dad? Where'd you get that old snow globe anyhow? Where'd it come from? Well, he sat right down in the floor there in front of the fireplace with the snow globe resting in his lap, and he motioned for me. I sat down beside him, and he turned the thing over and showed me that it was stamped on the bottom, made in Germany, 1938. Then he put his arm around me, and this is what he said. Something interesting happened to me, son, when I was your age. When I was 12 years old, it was 1942. We were living in a little town called Evergreen, Pennsylvania, where my dad had a law practice. Well, that year was unusually busy, and my folks waited until the last possible day, December 24th, to do the gift buying. It was about mid-morning when we drove downtown, plunged into the crowds on Main Street, and did all our shopping in one giant trip. Of course, there wasn't much shopping to do back then. World War II was going on, and the things were hard to come by. That year, we just bought a few items for each other. My dad found a simple necklace for Mom. She bought him a tie and a pair of socks, and from the size of the package, I suspicioned that my gift was a new pair of shoes. We also found a red sweater for my grandma. We loaded those gifts into the trunk of our 1938 Buick, which we'd left in the town parking lot. Then we went to the corner market where we'd managed to find everything we'd need for Christmas dinner, a canned ham, the only kind available in those days, some cloves and spices, baking potatoes, beans and carrots, and then some flour, butter, eggs, sugar, and chocolate for a cake. I remember how relieved my mother was to find some of those staples. They were rationed because of the war, you see. After loading everything in the car, we walked down the street one more time and ate lunch at the Evergreen Cafe. You can imagine our surprise when we returned to the parking lot an hour later and could not find our car. It was gone, vanished, along with our presence and all of our food. Someone had stolen our vehicle, and with it, they'd taken our Christmas. We'd spent the afternoon in the police station, filling out reports, talking to the officers, and listening while they issued bulletins, but it was useless. No one had a clue what happened to our Buick. My folks were very distressed. The officers said they'd drive us home, but we said we'd just as soon walk as we only lived a few blocks away. By then it was late afternoon on Christmas Eve and the snow was flurrying. So down the street we started wondering how we were going to celebrate Christmas with no presents and no dinner. Most of the stores had closed and the shoppers were gone home. We passed the parking lot. It was empty, almost. There to our amazement, 
sat our car. It was on the opposite side of the parking lot. My parents looked at each other in confusion, and we all said things like, are we losing our minds? Did we forget where we parked? I'm sure we parked over here. Who moved our car over there? We walked over to investigate. At first glance, it appeared that whoever had moved our car had also washed and cleaned it, for it looked newer and neater than before. But the thief had also cleaned out our gifts because when my dad opened the trunk, it was empty. We unlocked the doors, got in, and sat there like we were in a fog. Finally, my mom said, Thomas, this is not our car. No, said my dad, it isn't, is it? But it looks like it. He turned the key in the ignition, and the engine started. Well, in those days, the Detroit car makers had a limited number of keys and locks, and they were often interchangeable. I remember once my mother locked her keys in the car at school, and another teacher said, I own a Buick, too. Let's see if my keys fit your car. And it did. So that explained why the key worked, but it explained nothing else. My mom opened the glove compartment and found the registration. She said the car belongs to Alfreda Reinhardt, 508 Elm Street. I know her, said my dad. Well, at least I met her once. I think she's a bit daft. You know, not all there. Do you suppose she could have driven our car off by mistake? Well, I don't know, said mom. I've heard some ladies talking about her. It's a sad story. Alfreda is quite elderly. When she lived in Germany, her family was thrown into jail for opposing the National Socialists. She had a son, a daughter-in-law, a little grandson, a boy about 12 or so. Some kind of disease swept through the jail and the whole family died, except Alfreda. After she was released, she managed to leave Germany. Then she moved here to Evergreen, where her sister lived, over near the German Lutheran Church. When her sister died, Alfreda seemed to go senile. At least that's what they said in the beauty shop. Yes, and as I recall, she's deaf as a doornail, said my dad, and I guess that would explain things. Our cars look alike. The keys are interchangeable. She must have gotten in the wrong one by mistake. Let's go see. Well, this was turning into an exciting Christmas for me. A stolen car, an imprisoned family, a crazy old woman, and all our Christmas presents hanging in the balance. It was an adventure. So we drove off, and ten minutes later, we pulled into the driveway at 508 Elm Street. There was our car, all right, sitting in Mrs. Reinhardt's carport. We got out and peered in the car windows and opened the trunk. It was empty. We rang the doorbell, and presently a little hunched lady opened the door. Her hair was thin, white, and disheveled, which was also a description of her. An old pair of glasses sat crookedly on her nose. She wore a faded blue sweater, and seeing us, she burst into joyous smiles. Guten Abend, she cried. Guten Abend. Come in out of the cold. Come in out of the snow. Right on time you are. Right on time. We stepped into the house. It was rather dark and drafty, but a small fire was burning in the hearth, and a little tree sat in the corner. Underneath it were some presents that looked very much like the ones we had bought earlier in the day. We also got a whiff of supper. It smelled like hams with clove, with potatoes, carrots, beans, and cake. On the mantel, there was a snow globe nestled among some garland. I took it all in with a glance. Now give me your coat, Gunther, and you too, Elke, said the old woman. Oh, how wonderful to see you. Frau Reinhardt, said my dad, clearing his throat. I've come to tell you we've got our cars mixed up. Mrs. Reinhardt seemed to have trouble understanding, so my dad expressed himself again. We've mixed up our cars. She looked perplexed. Was? She said. Our cars, said dad. Cigars? Ja, I have cigars. Would you like one? No, no, my father said quickly. You always liked cigars, Gunther. 
the woman said, shaking her head with a smile. I try to keep them for you, but after supper, not before, Ja. No, no, my dad said. What I mean is, I think they're there's been some kind of mistake. Ja, of course, I have cake, too. No, Frau Reinhardt, my dad said a third time. I'm afraid you're confused. My name is Vicker, Thomas Vicker. Something about that seemed to distress the old woman. Alfreda Reinhardt stared at my dad incredulously, a haunting look on her face as if trying to comprehend. For some reason, we all sort of stopped breathing for a moment. Nine, she said. And again, my father said, Frau Reinhardt, my name is Thomas Vicker. Vicker. Nine, I have no liquor, she said. I have cigars and cake, but no liquor, only eggnog. My father was too flabbergasted to reply, but the atmosphere changed suddenly when the old woman, smiling, showing yellow, unkempt teeth. Sur gut, she said. Your coat's bitten. It's warm in here. Let me take your coats. I've waited so long for you to get here, but I've waited all afternoon. You're going to stay, aren't you? Of course you are. You've come so far. She started tugging at our sleeves. I noticed how my parents looked at each other and seemed to react to a kind of an understanding. At any rate, they nodded to me, and we all unbuttoned our coats. Danka, said the old woman with a smile, as she took my dad's coat and my mom's and laid them on the sofa, and that's when she spied me. I cannot describe the look that came into her eyes as she studied my face. Oh, Ollie, she said, hobbling near me. Her hand revealed a slight tremor as it reached out and caressed my hair. Oh, Ollie, it's been such a long time. Look at you. Look how you've grown. Her eyes filled with tears, and she pulled me into an embrace. She quivered with emotion, but when she released me, her face was glowing. Oh, Ollie, she said, I thought you would never, I would never see you again. Come over to your Oma and look at you, so happy, so strong, so big. You, you remind me of your Opa. Her wiry arms encircled me again, and I felt the kissing on top of my head. And I started to pull away, but I didn't. After one more, my Ollie, she turned abruptly and headed to the kitchen. Abravasten, all is ready, she said. Elke, help me set the table. My mom obligingly found some dishes in the cabinet while Frau while Fra Reinhardt pulled silverware from a drawer. And then out came the hams and beans and carrots along with the German potato salad and some sauerkraut. The meal wasn't exactly as my mom would have prepared it. It was sort of vinegary and mustardy, but it was good. I ate every bite except the kraut. All the while, Frau Reinhardt was talking half in German, half in English about family matters that didn't make any sense to me at all. Each of us tried to contribute to the conversation, but it seemed lost on the old woman. Her hearing was gone and her mind was nearly so, but her heart was warm and she kept the conversation flowing all by herself. She spoke of long ago days, recalling happier times with Dietrich, her husband, I gathered, and her son, Gunther, who had apparently been a bookkeeper, and about his wife, Elke. Occasionally she said something that seemed funny to her, and she laughed and laughed, and we laughed along with her. All the while, she kept stealing glances in my direction, and whenever she did, her eyes sparkled. A couple of times I winked at her, and she seemed as delighted as a girl caught under the mistletoe. After the cake and coffee, the eggnog never showed up. We relocated to the parlor, where Mrs. Reinhardt went right to the tree and started handing out gifts. There was a simple necklace for my mom, a tie and socks for my dad, a pair of new shoes for me. It was all great fun. Then my mother handed the last remaining package to the old woman. Frau Reinhardt opened the present and clutched the red sweater to herself with motions of delight. Oh, danke, danke, it's wunderbar, she said. But the most wonderful thing is to have you all here with me. 
Then she lowered her voice, almost to a whisper, and said, One night, in that awful place, I was so frightened, especially for Ollie. I'd forgotten what time of year it was. It was was so dark and dreadful. Everyone was so sick. And then from somewhere down the hall, I heard another prisoner singing, Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. And I recalled that it was Christmas. And that night in the jail, I remembered a little poem we used to say on Christmas Eve. Silent, holy, calm, and bright. Jesus came to pierce the night. Jesus came to make things right. So be silent, holy, calm, and bright tonight. And that's when I, I knew that everything would be all right. Someday, somehow, someway, someplace, perhaps not now, but then, perhaps not here, but there. She was quiet for a moment. But the next thing I knew, she was on her feet again and heading to the fireplace. She picked up the snow globe from the mantel and shook it in our direction, saying, Except for the clothes on my back, this is the only thing I brought out with me, out of Deutschland. She wound up the music and it played Silent Night. We listened and it seemed like music from far away and long ago. No one said anything for a long time. And then the old woman suddenly looked very tired and said, Well, it's time for bed. Oh, I would have broken my heart for you not to have come. But here you are, and my Ollie has come to wish his Oma a fro wietishing. God bless you for it, my grandson. I nodded the best I could. We rose, put on our coats, moved toward the door. Vait called the old woman. She picked up the globe and brought it to me. You must have this, Ollie, she said. This is the only thing I can give you from Deutschland, and you must take it so you'll always remember that God looked into our globe and saw our grief. We look into his manger and see his answer. Well, I looked at Dad, I looked at Mom, and she looked at me. I took the globe from the old woman's hands. I sat it on the floor and gave her the hardest hug I'd ever given anyone in my life. Then I picked it up carefully and ducked out the door, because no one wants to see a 12-year-old boy get the sniffles. I heard my parents exiting behind me, saying things like, Gut Nacht, and Auf Wiedersehen, and after exchanging cars in the carport, we drove home in silence. We visited Frau Reinhardt several times afterwards, but she didn't seem to know us. The spell was broken, and her mind was gone. Shortly afterward, a small item appeared in the local paper. Frau Alfreda Reinhardt, 88, formerly of Munich, died at her residence on Elm Street yesterday with the parish priest in attendance. She was preceded in death by a husband and a sister, a daughter, a son-in-law, and a grandson. Well, that's the story as my dad told it to me, but he wasn't quite finished. He went on to say, And that's why, son, every year, since I was your age, I picked up this old snow globe on Christmas Eve, turned it over, wound it up, and listened to the music. And as I see the snow swirling around the manger, I think of that night my folks and I were able to give an old woman her family back for one last Christmas Eve. And I remember her poem and her words, for they were so true. The good Lord looked into our globe and saw our grief. We look into his manger and see his answer. And that's why Christmas is silent, holy, and calm and bright. For a long time, we sat there in front of the dying fire saying nothing. I might have got the sniffles if my dad hadn't told me that no one wanted to see a 12-year-old boy doing that. So I finally got up, yawned real big, and headed off to bed. After all, I didn't want to oversleep on Christmas morning. Good night, Dad, I said as I headed toward the bedroom. I turned back and saw him gazing again at that glass ball filled with water and wonder. 
Good night, Dad, I said to him again. Sleep well. He smiled and waved me on to bed. Good night, Ollie, he said. You sleep well, too. She leaned with her head by the window Watching evergreen bend in the snow Remembering Christmas the way it had been So many seasons ago When the children would reach for their stockings open the presents they found The lights on the tree would shine bright in their eyes Reflecting the love all around But this year there's no one to open the gifts No reason for trimming the tree And just as a tear made its way to the floor She heard voices outside start to sing Merry Christmas to all who may dwell here Merry Christmas if even just one May the joy of the sea Surround you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all who may dwell here. Merry Christmas, if even just one. May the joy of the season surround you. Merry Christmas. And singing that song was Galen Gott. He's our son-in-law, my son-in-law, and your your my brother-in-law. brother-in-law. <laughs> All right. Hey, the listener comment line is one eight hundred three four five two six two one one eight hundred three four five two six two one. And can I tell you, Rich, how much pleasure it brings me to be able to do this program with you? Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas to you too, Dad. God bless you. God bless everybody that's listening. This is Dick Bott with his chapter, The Complete Story is a Public Service. I'll see you later.